Did you know that the recitation of tongue twisters has been used for hundreds of years as a way to improve one's diction? That includes the use of phrases such as I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's son. I'm simply plucking feathers till the pheasant plucker comes. That wasn't so hard, was it? Back to Ten Days in the Madhouse by Nellie Bly. Chapter 4 Judge Duffy and the Police. But to return to my story, I kept up my role until the assistant matron, Mrs. Stannard, came in. She tried to persuade me to be calm. I began to see clearly that she wanted to get me out of the house at all hazards, quietly if possible. This I did not want. I refused to move, but kept up ever the refrain of my lost trunks. Finally, someone suggested that an officer be sent for. After a while, Mrs. Stannard put on her bonnet and went out. Then I knew that I was making an advance towards the home of the insane. Soon she returned, bringing with her two policemen, big, strong men, who entered the room rather unceremoniously, evidently expecting to meet with a person violently crazy. The name of one of them was Tom Bogart. When they entered, I pretended not to see them. I want you to take her quietly, said Mrs. Stannard. If she don't come along quietly, responded one of the men, I will drag her through the streets. I still took no notice of them, but certainly wished to avoid raising a scandal outside. Fortunately, Mrs. Kane came to my rescue. She told the officers about my outcries for my lost trunks and together they made up a plan to get me to go along with them, quietly, by telling me they would go with me to look for my lost effects. They asked me if I would go. I said I was afraid to go alone. Mrs. Stannard then said she would accompany me, and she arranged that the two policemen should follow us at a respectful distance. She tied on my veil for me, and we left the house by the basement and started across town, the two officers following at some distance behind. We walked along very quietly and finally came to the station house, which the good woman assured me was the express office and that there we should certainly find my missing effects. I went inside with fear and trembling for good reason. A few days previous to this, I had met with a Captain McCulloch at a meeting held in Cooper Union. At that time, I had asked him for some information which he had given me. If he were in, would he not recognize me? And then all would be lost so far as getting to the island was concerned. 
I pulled my sailor hat as low down over my face as I possibly could and prepared for the ordeal. Sure enough, there was sturdy Captain McCullough standing near the desk. He watched me closely as the officer at the desk conversed in a low tone with Mrs. Stannard and the policeman who brought me. "'Are you Nellie Brown?' asked the officer. I said I supposed I was. "'Where do you come from?' he asked. I told him I did not know, and then Mrs. Stannard gave him a lot of information about me, told him how strangely I had acted at her home, how I had not slept a wink all night, and that in her opinion I was a poor unfortunate who had been driven crazy by inhuman treatment. There was some discussion between Mrs. Stannard and the two officers, and Tom Bokert was told to take us down to the court in a car. Come along, Bokert said. I will find your trunk for you. We all went together, Mrs. Stannard, Tom Bokert, and myself. I said it was very kind of them to go with me, and I should not soon forget them. As we walked along, I kept up my refrain about my trunks, injecting occasionally some remark about the dirty condition of the streets and the curious character of the people we met on the way. I don't think I have ever seen such people before, I said. Who are they? I asked, and my companions looked upon me with expressions of pity, evidently believing I was a foreigner an emigrant or something of the sort. They told me that the people around me were working people. I remarked once more that I thought there were too many working people in the world for the amount of work to be done, at which remark policeman P.T. Bockert eyed me closely, evidently thinking that my mind was gone for good. We passed several other policemen, who generally asked my sturdy guardians what was the matter with me. By this time, quite a number of ragged children were following us too, and they passed remarks about me that were, to me, original as well as amusing. What's she up for? Say, cop, where did you get her? Where did you pull her? She's a daisy. Poor Mrs. Stannard was more frightened than I was. The whole situation grew interesting, but I still had fears for my fate before the judge. At last, we came to a low building, and Tom Bockert kindly volunteered the information, Here's the express office. We shall soon find those trunks of yours. The entrance to the building was surrounded by a curious crowd and I did not think my case was bad enough to permit me passing them without some remark, so I asked if all those people had lost their trunks. Yes, he said. Nearly all these people are looking for trunks. I said, They all seem to be foreigners, too. Yes, said Tom. They are all foreigners just landed. They have all lost their trunks, and it takes most of our time to help find them. We entered the courtroom. It was the Essex Market Police courtroom. At last, the question of my sanity, or insanity, was to be decided. Judge Duffy sat behind the high desk, 
wearing a look which seemed to indicate that he was dealing out the milk of human kindness by wholesale. I rather feared I would not get the fate I sought, because of the kindness I saw on every line of his face, and it was with rather a sinking heart that I followed Mrs. Stannard as she answered the summons to go up to the desk, where Tom Bockert had just given an account of the affair. "'Come here,' said an officer. "'What's your name?' "'Nellie Brown,' I replied with a little accent. "'I have lost my trunks and would like to know if you could find them.' "'When did you come to New York?' he asked. "'I did not come to New York,' I replied. "'Well, I added mentally, because I have been here for some time.' "'But you are in New York now,' said the man. "'No,' I said, looking as incredulous as I thought a crazy person could. "'I did not come to New York.' "'That girl's from the West,' he said, in a tone that made me tremble. "'She has a Western accent.' Someone else who had been listening to the brief dialogue here asserted that he had lived south and that my accent was southern, while another officer was positive that it was eastern. I felt much relieved when the first spokesman turned to the judge and said, Judge, here is a peculiar case of a young woman who doesn't know who she is or where she came from. You had better attend to it at once. I commenced to shake with more than the cold, and I looked around at the strange crowd about me, composed of poorly dressed men and women, with stories printed on their faces of hard lives, abuse, and poverty. Some were consulting eagerly with friends, while others sat still with a look of utter hopelessness. Everywhere was a sprinkling of well-dressed, well-fed officers, watching the scene passively and almost indifferently. It was only an old story with them. One more unfortunate added to a long list which had long since ceased to be of any interest or concern to them. "'Come here, girl, and lift your veil,' called out Judge Duffy in tones which surprised me by a harshness which I did not think from the kindly face he possessed. "'Who are you speaking to?' I inquired in my stateliest manner. "'Come here, my dear, and lift your veil. "'You know, the Queen of England, if she were here, would have to lift her veil,' he said very kindly. "'That is much better,' I replied. "'I am not the Queen of England,' but I lift my veil. As I did so, the little judge looked at me, and then, in a very kind and gentle tone, he said, My dear child, what is wrong? Nothing is wrong except that I have lost my trunks, and this man, indicating Policeman Brockert, promised to bring me where they could be found. What do you know about this child? asked the judge, sternly, of Mrs. Stannard, who stood pale and trembling by my side. I know nothing of her except that she came to the home yesterday and asked to remain overnight. The home? What do you mean by the home? asked Judge Duffy quickly. 
It is a temporary home kept for working women at number 84, Second Avenue. What is your position there? I am assistant matron. Well, tell us all you know of the case. When I was going into the home yesterday, I noticed her coming down the avenue. She was all alone. I had just got into the house when the bell rang and she came in. When I talked with her, she wanted to know if she could stay all night, and I said she could. After a while, she said all the people in the house looked crazy and she was afraid of them. Then she would not go to bed, but sat up all night. Had she any money? Yes, I replied, answering for her. I paid her for everything, and the eating was the worst I ever tried. There was a general smile at this, and some murmurs of, She's not so crazy on the food question. Poor child, said Judge Duffy. She's well-dressed and a lady. Her English is perfect, and I would stake everything on her being a good girl. I'm positive she's somebody's darling. At this announcement, everybody laughed, and I put my handkerchief over my face and endeavored to choke the laughter that threatened to spoil my plans, despite of my resolutions. I mean, she's some woman's darling, hastily amended the judge. I'm sure someone is searching for her. Poor girl. I will be good to her, for she looks like my sister, who is dead. There was a hush for a moment after this announcement, and the officers glanced at me more kindly, while I silently blessed the kind-hearted judge and hoped that any poor creatures who might be afflicted as I pretended to be should have as kindly a man to deal with as Judge Duffy. I wish the reporters were here, he said at last. They would be able to find out something about her. I got very much frightened at this, for if there is anyone who can ferret out a mystery, it is a reporter. I felt that I would rather face a mass of expert doctors, policemen, and detectives than two bright specimens of my craft, so I said, I don't see why all this is needed to help me find my trunks. These men are impudent, and I do not want to be stared at. I will go away. I don't want to stay here. So saying, I pulled down my veil and secretly hoped the reporters would be detained elsewhere until I was sent to the asylum. I don't know what to do with the poor girl, said the worried judge. She must be taken care of. Send her to the island, suggested one of the officers. Oh, don't, said Mrs. Stannard, in evident alarm. Don't. She is a lady, and it would kill her to be put on the island. For once, I felt like shaking the good woman. To think the island was just the place I wanted to reach, and here she was trying to keep me from going there. It was very kind of her, but rather provoking under the circumstances. There's been some foul work here, said the judge. I believe this child has been drugged and brought to this city. Make out the papers and we will send her to Bellevue for examination. Probably in a few days, the effect of the drug will pass off and she will be able to tell us a story that will be startling. If only the reporters would come. I dreaded them, so I said something about not wishing to stay there any longer to be gazed at. 
Judge Duffy then told Policeman Bockert to take me to the back office. After we were seated there, Judge Duffy came in and asked me if my home was in Cuba. Yes, I replied with a smile. How did you know? Oh, I knew it, my dear. Now tell me, where was it? In what part of Cuba? On the hacienda, I replied. Ah, on a farm. Do you remember Havana? Si, senor, I answered. It is near home. How did you know? Oh, I knew all about it. Now, won't you tell me the name of your home? He asked persuasively. That's what I forget, I answered sadly. I have a headache all the time, and it makes me forget things. I don't want them to trouble me. Everybody is asking me questions, and it makes my head worse. And in truth, it did. Well, no one shall trouble you any more. Sit down here and rest a while. And the genial judge left me alone with Mrs. Stannard. Just then, an officer came in with a reporter. I was so frightened, and I thought I would be recognized as a journalist, so I turned my head away and said, I don't want to see any reporters. I will not see any. The judge said I was not to be troubled. Well, there's no insanity in that, said the man who had brought the reporter, and together they left the room. Once again, I had a fit of fear. Had I gone too far in not wanting to see a reporter? And was my sanity detected? If I had given the impression that I was sane, I was determined to undo it. So I jumped up and ran back and forward through the office, Mrs. Stannard clinging terrified to my arm. I won't stay here, I want my trunks. Why do they bother me with so many people? And thus I kept on until the ambulance surgeon came in, accompanied by the judge. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please consider offering us a nice hot cup of tea via the link in the show notes, or just go to buymeacoffee.com and search for Mandy Gardner for History Obscura. Thanks, friends! (music) 